0: It was a few weeks ago that this whole stage was lined with individuals holding cardboard testimonies. Do you remember some of that? And uh, some of those testimonies we still have lined up out in uh, the welcome area. And uh, those were testimonies about what God did in the lives of individuals who took Rooted. Rooted is a uh, 10-week spiritual journey, and uh, we want to encourage you to take that there note sheet uh, or that sign-up sheet that you have in your chair. Do you have that there? If you have that in your chair, I want you to um, acknowledge the first part of that, which says Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It is our desire to see you rooted in your faith. And so we offer um, a journey called Rooted, For 10 weeks, and on the course of this journey, you're going to discover how to connect God with God better. You're going to build relationships with other people and the body of Christ and the church of God. And then you're going to discover more intently the purpose of God for your life. And a lot of times we fill our schedules with all kinds of things, don't we? I'm sure if I unpacked your, uh, uh, I guess it's not a day timer anymore, your Google uh, calendar, whatever it is on your phone, that it would be packed full of all kinds of activities for kids and otherwise. And here I am as a pastor standing in front of you saying, please, please, pretty please, would you squeeze in a few moments for God? That's not the way it should be. Our pursuit and our heart for God should be established foremost in our life. That's why we gather once every seven days, the first part of the week, to worship God as we worship this morning and to look into his word. We're prioritizing God's place in our life and his purposes in this world, whether here around the world in places like Haiti like we just prayed for. However, just parking for a couple hours maybe once every seven days isn't going to get us there. We have to have intensity to our spiritual development. And whether you are a seeker, new to the faith, looking for the faith, maybe you are returning to the faith, maybe you just want to be growing in the faith, or even if you're mature in the faith, this rooted 10-week journey is for you. And I could bring up a whole host of testimony of people again um, who have done this. I want you to pause. I want you to ask God, if this is what He would have you to do for 10 weeks this fall. Fill that out. Turn it in with the offering baskets at the end or the baskets on your way out. If you're online, you can uh, respond by um, emailing us. I want us to have another great team of people. We had three groups with about 45 people, I think, uh, in the spring. And I believe God has... Another whole tier for rooted. Now, some of you who went through rooted, it's okay to go through rooted again. In fact, I thought about having everybody in the church go through rooted again as we sort of get reacclimated from uh, that whole COVID journey thing, right? Still in it, right? So I want you to know that you can take rooted again. And if you've gone through rooted and it impacted your life, One of the coolest things you can do is grab a hold of a friend, a family member, and say, hey, would you like to go with me through this journey again? I've been through Rooted probably seven or eight times, and every time, even as a mature person in the faith, I'm always learning and growing and being uh, challenged and recharged in my faith and in the body of Christ, what God's doing in our midst. You got that? That's your big announcement for the most important announcement of all announcements today was Rooted. Friends, we're getting close. We're two weeks away from being done with 1 John. And some of you are like, really? We've been in 1 John forever. I didn't, did you speak on anything else besides 1 John in your life as a church? No, we've been in this journey for a while, but we're in chapter 5, and I want us to turn our hearts towards what God would have us to hear from Him, from His Word today. You know, worship is a two-way street. We come to lift our worship to God, and then we, it's almost symbolically, as we lift our hands to worship to God, we're creating a funnel to receive from Him through His Holy Spirit, through His Word, His voice in our hearts and lives today. I want to begin with this question. What are you an expert in? If I was to go around and say, what do you feel comfortable doing? What do you have a lot of confidence in, uh, assurance that you can make this kind of thing happen? uh, What would it be? If I told you that you needed to tear apart an engine and put it back together, how many of you would feel pretty confident in doing that? Anybody in here? Well, that's pretty good. Of course you would, Scott. You tore apart Navy ships and put them back together. So uh, there's this idea that there's certain things that we're gifted in and not gifted in. I remember uh, in shop class back when I was a younger guy, uh, we tore apart a single cylinder engine and I'm pretty sure I never got it put back together. If it was put back together, it didn't run, right? But if you put me behind a steering wheel of a car, I'm pretty competent in being able to drive. Uh, My my wife might say, was your aging, that's questionable. But uh, I'm pretty confident in being able to drive a car. If you put me behind a steering wheel of a, a large four-wheel drive um, agricultural farm tractor, I'm pretty confident at that, even trying to figure it out with some of the newer type of stuff they got going on because I grew up in an agricultural farm environment. But if you put behind a steering wheel of a 200-mile-per-hour Indy race car, I'm not quite so sure I would know what to do. If you put a scalpel in my hand to do surgery, that would not be good. But if you put a pen in my hand or a computer and say, would you write a thesis paper, I could, I could do that fairly well. If you give me some directional um, information to get somewhere, uh, I'm, I'm probably pretty good at being able to get there. Uh, but if you tell my wife, east, west, north, south, uh, she's guaranteed to be lost. But then again, if you put me, uh, if you put my wife in a room full of a bunch of preschoolers, I mean, she's at it. She's got it. Bingo. She's good. You put me in a room of preschoolers, 20 preschoolers or something, I'm probably the first one who starts crying. <laughs> All of us in this room feel confident with certain things, and uh, whether we've been experienced in them or we're just gifted in them, but then there's other things not so sure about that. Confidence assurance. That's a sweet spot, isn't it? You put us in areas that we don't know or things we're uncertain about and doubt starts to come in, we get a little wobbly. I want to ask you today, related to this subject, how are you doing concerning doubt and certainty in the spiritual life. And I want to talk about us moving from doubt to certainty. In one particular area, and and the Apostle John begins to focus on this, and it's almost like he's written the whole letter for this purpose, but it's this question I want to ask you this morning. Do you know that you know that you know you are saved and have eternal life? Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved and you have an eternal life? Well, some of you may say, saved from what? Well, saved from your broken life, saved from the sin that we're in, saved from lostness, as Scripture says, and redeemed by God, changed by Him, in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, knowing that we have life here on earth, but life eternal. Do you know that you know that you know? Or are you a little wobbly on that one this morning? You know, if you have doubt about something... It is not good. If you have an Olympian athlete that goes out there to do what they need to do, which we just watched with the Summer Olympics, and there's a bunch of doubt going on in their head, or you take a basketball team or something like that, and you put doubt. They're a little skittish, and they will not perform and do well. You ever had doubt in a relationship with someone? Like, I'm not quite sure where we stand, and I'm not going to have an us talk. And you are cautious. Maybe it's with an employment, a worker thing. I remember a season in my life where there was a lot of what I saw scrutinizing of my job, and it, it just paralyzed me. If you have doubt, it leads you to bad places. And spiritually, if there is doubt, it will keep you from the joy of the Lord that God intends for you to have. As one person said, if Satan can't get you to drink, he'll get you to doubt. And doubt I see happening a lot, even with uh, what's happening in our culture today. But this doubt concerning do you know that you're saved? And if you were to pass away, there were, um, our hearts gone out, there were people connected with our awakening body here this week who lost their mothers, and they passed away but it's so cool to see their assurance of the salvation of their mother and knowing that they would see their mother again in eternity. There was a car accident on Winchester, close to where I live in French Valley this week, that took a couple lives. Uncertainty as to what the next day holds. There's, there were three brothers, 30 years of age, that were farmers in ohio this week and it hits close to me because i have two older brothers and i remember when we were all in our 30s and we were knocking things down sometimes with activities on on a farm and and they uh jumped into a big manure pit where a lot of the manure comes and they pump it out of there and then they go spread it on the fields but the fumes and the gases overtook them and all three sons died this week i look at that and i go that's terrible what does the father and the mother think about that? They were taking over the farm and running. I mean, we never know what a day holds, and I'm not here to put some fear in you about death. I'm just here to remind us of the uncertainty of life here. And do you have the confidence and the assurance of the life is yet to come and where you will be if you were to die? You see, I had doubt in my life as a young Jesus follower all fired up for Jesus in one sense and I made a commitment to follow Christ but I remember I'd sit in a, in a in a living room with my family and sometimes we'd have family devotions and sometimes mom and dad would have us watch Billy Graham on tv the big crusades right sort of like the Greg Lowry crusades and it's one his is coming up here I guess in Anaheim Stadium in October but you know he, he would be preaching to these masses and, and and I was fearful I doubt it. I'm like, I, it, I did. I prayed to receive Jesus and, and to be saved and to, and to be a follower. Of his, but I don't know. And it's just that chatter that Satan does and the insecurity in our own hearts over things. And I wasn't confident of my salvation. And I remember watching Billy Graham and I thought, you know, he knows that he knows that he knows if he was to die, he would be with the Lord. Billy Graham lived to be 99 years of age, and he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. If you were to pass from this life, do you know that you know? See, that's sort of a touchy little question because it starts to get at things that are more expansive in our life than where am I going to have lunch at today and what projects I got to get done at work. It's like, pause, time out. Let's step back and say, what's going on? with security and confidence in you spiritually. And John wanted this question to be answered assuredly with the believers that he had, that he was ministering to with this letter that he sent to them. I made this statement here because part of that insecurity has to do with whether you are saved or not, not just if you have the assurance of the salvation that's already been granted. Unbelief is a product of an unknowing and unrepentant heart. Doubt is a product of an unsettled and untrusting heart. You see, some people, they have right to question where they would be in eternity if they were to pass away because they've not dealt with that. Maybe you're here this morning trying to wrestle with that or watching online that that you would like to know. How, how, how do I know? And it's not about Jesus coming into our life for us to just you know, have the fire insurance to escape hell and be able to live in eternity in a heaven or new earth, whatever it may be. It's about this life, too, for us to have a full and rich life today. And sometimes I get really concerned and bothered that we present the gospel of Jesus Christ as something for just after you die. That's not true at all. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and to have it to the fullest. So our eternal life that we're desiring is not just eternal as it relates to a longevity or chronological kind of way of thinking. Eternal life is a full life, fullness of life, and that is what our hearts long for. But the reason that some people, maybe you're in this camp here this very morning, that you doubt what would happen to you if you were to pass from this life into eternity is that you never crossed along over the line of faith. You have never uh, repented of your sins, your unrepentant heart, your indifference to God. You've never come maybe into an understanding or an opportunity to understand that it's Jesus Christ. that's the, the way, the truth, and the life. You have reason to doubt your salvation if you indeed are not saved. And that's probably a pretty good defined reality thing that needs to happen in your life. But a lot of times the assurance doesn't have to do with the unbelief and the unknowing and the unrepentant heart It's that you did repent and you crossed the line of faith, but there's this doubt that goes on you and you're sort of uh, a little skittish about everything. It's an unsettled mind and and you're not quite sure if you're trusting God in all of it. And so whether you're a non-believer that needs to make a commitment to follow Christ here this morning, or you're a believer who is letting that chatter and doubt of Satan in your ear that causes you to be skittish in your life and you need assurance, I want you to listen to the Word of God as recorded in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to read straight through the text this morning. Receive it as from the Lord. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies... There's a spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Listen to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that verse is there. It's one of those verses... (laughs) That I may know, that I know, that I know, that I'm saved, that I have eternal life. I, it, it's possible? Is that possible? I don't have to be in and out or look at some great saint uh, or, or a per- person of faith like a Billy Graham and think, oh, wow, they really know, but I can never know. I can know? Yes, I can know, you can know, and you can go from today to tomorrow, to next week, to next month, to the next year, with the assurance of your salvation and the assurance of eternal life. But the adversary wants to keep you from that kind of faith and that kind of understanding. I want to talk to you just a little bit of a cul-de-sac here about something. I got some news this week. Uh, It almost seems like it's almost a regular occurrence in life. About someone who has been a part of walking the faith out. But it's now in a season of their life where they're not just backslidden. They're just doubting it all. They're walking away from it. They're not just skittish in uh, their attitude. They're almost becoming dogmatic in their anti-God stance. In fact, last year, I remember some uh, uh, famous pastor's sons, lead singers in Christian bands that are doing what they refer to as deconstruction. Have you heard this term? They're deconstructing their faith. They're in a season where they're really rethinking it all, but they're moving so far back and deconstructing this that they themselves are no longer believers, as they would say. Now, I want you to know something. There is a difference uh, between deconstructing the faith and constructing the faith. Jesus deconstructed the faith of his day. There was a lot of rules and regulations and laws that had encumbered the Jewish faith, which was worshiping the one true Yahweh God. And he came and stripped this stuff apart and got back to, who are you really loving and serving? Are you into the power plays? Are you into the, hey, look at me, the arrogance kind of thing? Or do you really love God Jesus deconstructed the faith, the Jewish faith in one sense, and he replaced it where it needed to be, which was centered on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself. There is nothing wrong in one sense in deconstructing. As we journey as an evangelical church, we sort of start to take on things. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, or you can't do that, or you're really a bad person. We get encumbered by rules and regulations. And the evangelical church has a rightful need to deconstruct some aspects of the faith and to see what is the true faith that's taught from Scripture. But some of the people that are in this deconstruction camp, they call themselves ex-evangelicals now. I was an evangelical, now I'm an ex-evangelical. I've sort of exited out of that. Now, I can't say this true of all people, but a lot of times what I find with the deconstructing of the faith movement group of people is that there's a sense of arrogance that all that's gone before us in Christian history, back to the time of Jesus, is, is uh, not valid or wrong. And there's a sense of arrogance that comes, like, well, who are you to say that? And have you really thought that deeply about it? And let's dialogue and interact. And me, as someone who likes apologetics, defending the faith, I'm like, let's sit down, let's go at this. This is nuts that you are a lead singer or you, you know, you, you proclaim Christ, and all of a sudden you're just boom, you're out. I'm done. What's going on in your mind? Have you thought through all the things? I mean, I've thought deeply about things for a long time. And it's not saying that I'm in an arrogant spirit of a, I know, but let's wrestle with it. Let's interact with it. Because deconstructing rightfully is actually constructing the faith in a genuine sense. And so if you are in a place of doubt concerning your faith, or you know of someone, maybe you have a child or a brother or a sister, whoever it is, that's in a place of doubt, then what you need to do is come alongside them and champion them. You're right. Right? There's stuff that just gets encumbered in the faith, but let's not think about deconstructing as much as constructing the genuine faith that we need to have. And I want us as a church to not just pontificate salvation, believe the Bible because the Bible is the Bible and you shouldn't doubt it. No. It's all right to have certain kinds of doubt. This whole thing of assurance your salvation isn't glossing over the reality that you and I have doubts. Genuine followers of Jesus in this room have certain doubts, maybe certain passages of Scripture or certain ways of, man, would God really do that? Like the whole Haiti thing. God, what's going on there? Why would you, uh, you know, a broken nation like that and have this come? Jesus says, bring it on. Ask me the questions. Let's wrestle with this stuff. The whole rooted encouragement, to be a part of rooted, is encouraging questions to be asked. You're going to be doing some readings in there over the course of the week, five out of seven days. You got some readings, then you have a small group you come to be a part of. And in that group, it's not you know, somebody preaching like me up here. It's like, hey, let's talk about this. What did you get from that? What did you question about it? Because maybe you fill out a couple you know uh, open-ended questions, and it made you think. The rooted thing to become rooted allows doubt, especially if you're a seeker and a non believer. It's like bring your doubts to the table. You got your tough questions? Bring it on, God says. So it's not the aspect that we're going to gloss over it and you just believe. You got to believe. You got to know that you know if you pray to prayer. No. Let's bring it on. But in that, let's not be in this. Deconstruction thing, or say you would say that adage, "throw the baby out with the bathwater." Let's wrestle with it and construct what is biblically true, and what's biblically true is ultimate reality, and we shouldn't be living with blinders on. Or because so-and-so said, well, my parents taught me that, and I don't know about that. Or my friend was this way, yeah, that's not. Or Christians, I just don't want to be associated with them because they're just sort of hypocrites and and judgmental. There's all kinds of things that flow through our minds. But let's just have integrity and honesty, and let's put it before the Lord and our friends and say, I have doubts, but let's move through this and construct what is a true faith, not just a knowledge only but an experience. And so this subject matter of assurance and confidence is not dismissing the concerns of doubt. But I want you to be able to move from doubt to certainty. Because if you stay in doubt, Satan wins. He keeps you from the joy of the Lord. He keeps you from intimacy with Christ through his Spirit. He keeps you away from understanding and fulfilling the purposes of God in your day and your generation. Doubt is a huge torpedo to not just blow up someone's life. A lot of times it's just to isolate a Christian and allow them to fall into discouragement and inability to make an impact in our world deconstructing the faith versus constructing the faith. Let's construct assurance for our salvation. Four cornerstones. Cornerstones are the stones at the corner of the building of which the foundation is built upon. Ultimately, Jesus is the cornerstone. But let's look at cornerstones of salvation assurance. Number one, Absolute trustworthiness of God's Scripture. The absolute trustworthiness of God's Scripture. A lot of times the reason we don't have assurance of our salvation is we're basing it upon how we're doing at the time. How we feel. You cannot build your Christian faith on feelings. Feelings come and go. There are strong times of feeling the Lord's presence, and there are times where you feel like, as one author used to write, the dark night of the soul. There's no reason, but I feel God's distant and gone. And sometimes God can use a dark night of the soul to draw you closer to him. Sometimes you come through a dark night of the soul and you go, what was that? But he just gives you a season of new refreshment. But your assurance cannot be based upon feelings. It can't be based upon how well you think you're doing or not. You know, God going to grade on the curve, am I in or not? You see, so much of our culture today, here and around the world, believe that you get into eternal life by your good works, what you do and you do not know. Jesus was pretty clear about that. He says, your good works, it's like filthy, filthy rags, filthy woman's rags is what it actually means in Scripture there is no works that you can do there is no season of great accomplishments of doing what's right that is going to give you entrance into heaven and salvation it is not by works so that no one should boast scripture says it's by grace through faith scripture says and so if you're leaning into your works okay if you're leaning into your works and what you've added up to give you assurance well i think you i think God's going to grave on the curve i think i might just get my foot in the door <laughs> If you doubt your salvation, and that's what you're resting on, I'm concerned for you. Maybe you doubt because you don't know if you prayed the right prayer. Friends, if you're worried about if you prayed the right prayer, that's not a good place to be. You have to rely on the trustworthiness of Scripture. The Bible has a voice. And that voice is the voice of God. John 3.16, we're familiar with, same author. says, "...for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him..." And that belief is an entrustment of one's life, not just knowing about Christ, but believing in Him, trusting your life in Him. "...whoever believes into Him," the text originally says, "...shall not perish, but they will have eternal life." Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 1, 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, eternal children of God. All those the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus said, and whoever comes to me, (laughs) I love this statement, I will never drive away. These are just samplings, are they not, of the trustworthiness of Scripture as well as the verse in 1 John 5, 13 that we just read. These things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. You take the Scripture as one of your cornerstones and you say, hey, i got some doubts. My feelings sort of come and go. I don't know if I prayed the right prayer kind of thing or where I'm at, but I believe in Jesus, who He is. That Jesus came, that He was born of the Virgin Mary, that He lived a sinless life, that He, that he went to the cross and, and took upon Himself my sins. And He died on that cross, and He was raised from the grave. And he ascended to the heavens, sent His Spirit, and that, that He is coming again. I believe in Jesus. And I not just believe that that's true of Him. I believe Him to be my Savior and my Lord. And I don't care how the prayer went, or even, you know, The dark nights of your soul. you had. Do you believe that now? Because the Scripture, as a cornerstone, says those who believe have eternal life. And so it's not the wishy-washy thinking, or I hope so. It's like the Bible says so. The Scriptures I stand on as truth. So that's one cornerstone. Cornerstone number two is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, you have sinned. I was a part of student ministry again this week, and, and and each every week, they're thrown out there, this is the gospel, as Pastor Zach describes, the three crappies and the three happies, and we're going to know the gospel of what it is. Well, one of the crappies is that we've all sinned, and, 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 and the reality is there's death in that. There is a debt of sin that needs to be paid for, and You can't get into a perfect heaven, into a perfect eternity with a bunch of sin and double-mindedness and corrosion on your life. If you did that, then it wouldn't be perfect anymore. The only way you get into a perfect heaven is by having the perfect Christ and his work in your life. And so the second cornerstone is this idea of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you need to understand this because this builds that confidence. It constructs the faith. It says this in 1 John 5, 6, what we read through a little bit earlier. This is the one who came by water and blood. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. What are you talking about, John? Water and blood? That look... don't know. He's referencing two things here, the beginning of the life of Jesus and his ministry and the end. The water represents the baptism. He was baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, man, you're sinless. I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And he says, no, I need to show as an example. So Jesus got down in the water. And when he was baptized, the heavens opened and God himself, the Father, spoke. A dove came down and descended and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's a testimony of God himself. This son, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah, the perfect one. That's water. What's the blood? The blood is the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin, the scriptures teach. Blood represents life poured out, and Jesus poured his life out on the cross as a testimony perfection satan pushed him to the brink of death thinking he would disobey the father and he followed through in obedience to the father he died on a cross he shed his blood and so when john says these give testimony the water and the blood he's referring back to the work back to the work of jesus on the cross and that work was a complete work remember when jesus died he said it is finished and with that, he bowed his head and he gave up the Spirit. What's finished? You're finished. You're a goner. You're dead. No. It is finished. I have now paid the sacrifice for your sin, for everyone's sin in this room through all generations. It is finished. His pouring out the blood brought about the sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin and mine. And that, my friends, is a personal, personal work. Yes, he died for all the world, but he died for you. And if you need to hear that this morning, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Jesus laid down his life for you this morning. Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know what that means? That work, that finished work of Jesus, he died for the forgiveness of my sins. What sins? Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. Once for all. And as you construct your faith and understanding what Jesus Christ did, man, that builds you confidence. Sometimes I go and repent to the Lord about sins, we're told to confess our sins before him, confess our sins to one another if we've sinned with them, some night I go to God and, and he goes, what are you talking about, Carrie? I forgave you of that a long time ago. But thanks for acknowledging it now. It's a once-for-all kind of work. Isaiah, I like how it describes it. Come now, let us settle the matter to know that we know that we know Let's reason together, Scripture says there. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And that word wool should actually have an adjective in front of it for what it means in that Isaiah passage. It shall be as white as a virgin's wool. Unblemished, untouched. That's what he does when he forgives you of your sin. And if you've never been forgiven of sins through Jesus Christ today, that's your hope. Your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Invite Christ and His work to come and cleanse you. And if you've done that before in your life, it's no less powerful in cleansing your sin today than it was when you were broken and you kneeled beside a bed and you prayed to receive Jesus. So, absolute trustworthiness of God's Scripture is one cornerstone. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is another cornerstone let's place a third. The third is this, the inner witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit is a cornerstone for assurance of your salvation. Let's go back to the passage. It said, "Is it's the Spirit who testifies in verse 6, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So what John does here in writing this letter, he says, hey, it's the water, the baptism of the Lord. That was a testimony. Man, Jesus was God himself come in the flesh, acknowledged by the Father. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sin, a once-for-all kind of work. But there's the third that comes in. Those first two were historical. The third is a personal experiential. And boom, he seals it with the Spirit. He says the indwelling Spirit gives agreement, gives testimony, testimony to your salvation and your security in Christ. 1 John 5, 9, we accept human testimony, he goes on, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts the testimony. Do you accept the testimony of other people? Like sometimes you go to a store or you buy a product purely on the testimony of a friend sometimes you do something in life based upon the testimony or the recommendation of someone you don't even know. Well, how much more powerful if it's the testimony of God who speaks to you today? And he says, listen to this. Through the Spirit, it's the Son that's been given. And whoever believes in the Son of God, accepts God's testimony and God's testimony. What is that testimony? Well, it goes on It says, whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. Oh my gosh, I don't want to be called a liar. I, I mean, I don't want to call God a liar or anything else. I mean, just like, what, what's going on here? God's testimony stands before you through his Spirit. And what's that testimony? And this is the testimony 1 John 5, 11 says. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus. And this life, in his son, Jesus, when you invite him to come in your life, guess what happens? You get invaded. We've talked about this in recent weeks. You get invaded by his spirit, the spirit of God. And the spirit of God will give witness of your salvation. Just a smattering of verses referencing the Spirit, 1 John 3, 24. We looked at this once a few weeks ago, and this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. 1 John 4, 13, this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. In Romans 8, 16, the Apostle Paul says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What I could do right now is just have you pause. Spirit, do you dwell within me? And if you're quiet enough, and if you're a believer in Jesus, that affirmation comes, yes. We looked at the passage to test the spirits to see if they're from God, that if they denied Jesus Christ came in the flesh, they're not from God, but they're the spirit of the Antichrist. If you're around someone who has uh, strongholds in their life and that question's asked, and that that spirit's not going to come back and say, yes, Jesus is the Christ, you're saved. But if you're a believer, that spirit, the Holy Spirit, seals your spirit as a human being this body dies, it decays, returns to death. You are born anew in eternity when given a new imperishable body. But your same spirit lasts forever from now and into eternity. If you pause and you ask, that voice of the Holy Spirit is louder than you think. This is yes. Doesn't mean that the Spirit might not also point out things of conviction for you to write that are wrong. But that whole identity of being a part of God's family, it's of Him inner witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit is number three. The fourth cornerstone is this, the evidence of a changed life in obeying God. Look at your life. Is it changed? If your life hasn't changed, then maybe that prayer didn't stick, not because it was a bad prayer, but because you really weren't sincere and you were double-minded in surrendering your life to the lord but if you surrendered your life to the lord he's faithful and he comes and dwells within and then he begins to rearrange the furniture in your house and sometimes you don't like it but when it's all rearranged which happens in my house sometimes i'm like oh that's not too bad that was pretty good after all the holy spirit dwelling within you give witness that you are a believer in christ And that Holy Spirit will lead you to a place of obedience. The obedience is not your security. The scripture is your security. The indwelling Jesus is your security. All right? But there is not a believer who does not want to see change happen in their life for the glory of God if they're genuinely a believer. And sometimes you may scratch your head and go, was that person ever saved? It's not that we sit in judgment on people, but it's a rightful statement if you don't see any change in their life. Jesus didn't come to give you information or a fire insurance policy to wait for heaven. He came to radically rearrange your life. And Jesus is moving you in a direction of life change that is beautiful, it's not limiting. Evidence of a changed life. 1 John 2 3 through 4 says this Here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God if we keep his commands. If someone claims I have come to know God by experience yet doesn't keep God's commands, he is a phony and the truth finds no place in him. Rewritten from the Passion Translation. It's not for you to judge if they're a phony or not. It's appointed to man wants to die and after that the judgment and who better to fall into the hands of than a just and knowing God. But if that Holy Spirit dwells within you, there's going to be change. And you're going to experience that change. You're going to have a desire to obey His commandments. It was interesting. This morning there was someone who came to me and just said, I need to ask you for forgiveness from something from many years ago. And my jaw drops. I'm like, really? That's amazing. Yes, I forgive you. I already have forgiven you. But it's is show me the work of the Spirit in this person's life that he would have the conviction to say, will you forgive me? The evidence of the Spirit dwelling in your life, the assurance of your salvation, all four cornerstones. God's Scripture, finished work of Christ, the inner witness of the Spirit, and the evidence of a changed life. That boy that doubted his salvation in the living room that day had some struggles in his faith and confidence of it. Didn't fully know these four cornerstones, but one of the things I hadn't done, I had done what Jesus said in Mark eight thirty-eight. He said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory. And with his holy angels, I was with some other friends that were Christians from another church, actually attending a concert by Dallas Holm, and the speaker was David Wilkerson, a number of years ago. Small town in Indiana called Alexandria, Indiana, and I remember being up in the upper corner of the bleachers. And it came to the end, and there was an invitation given for those who wanted to know that Jesus Christ was their Savior. And Some of you have heard me share this before. I was like, great. I got this conviction of the Holy Spirit within me, and something needs to happen now, because I've never really made a public declaration of my faith. They're going to think he was a hypocrite. But God said to me, Carrie, are you ashamed of me and my words in this generation or not? And I remember standing at my feet, walking down those bleachers and going to the front of that room. The front of that room, they gave me this booklet that walked through the plan of salvation. I'd sort of known it. I would prayed the prayer when I was younger. But I remember writing my commitment out to Jesus then and the date and the location. And I took that pamphlet home. It was actually a little booklet. I put it in the bottom drawer of the nightstand beside me. And I said, Satan, if you ever come to me and say, you're not saved or you have no assurance of eternity. I was fearful. Sometimes I'd come down the steps and go, did the rapture happen and my parents are gone and my brother's gone, but I've been left behind. It was paralyzing to me in young faith. I'd pull that out from the drawer, and I'd point to it, and I'd say, Satan, if I never ever did before, here is the moment in time that I st- stood and I confessed you. I confessed Jesus as my Savior. A couple years later, God convicted me about needing to be baptized. And the baptism doesn't save you, but the baptism is an outer sign of the inner commitment. And I was baptized at a youth camp. Remember coming up out of that water, people cheering? I said, saying It's done. I'm on Jesus' side. No doubts. Have you ever done that in your life? I'm going to do something as we close. <sighs> it's been a long time since I probably did this, if ever, here. I'm going to open up this front right here. And if you're struggling with your salvation and assurance of it, and you need to give a public declaration of it, yeah, I encourage you to mark the back of your Connect card, willing to be baptized. But I want you to come and stand here. I, I know you may be a believer and you've done some public before. That's fine. You can stay where you're at. But if you've never publicly acknowledged it, this is putting a dagger in Satan. Say, if I've never done it before, I do it today. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then for those of you in the unbelief camp, you've never crossed that line of faith. It's a bold call. Especially if you may be newer to this church body, I want you to come. And we're going to have a word of prayer. No one's going to be called out. We're going to have a word of prayer for whoever comes, if any. But we're going to pray and we're going to seal this because this is a transcendent, eternal work that's going on in this room. In this moment, Satan's been messing with you, and he's done. So as Joe plays, I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that, who, that you have eternal life. And the question comes to you, do you know for sure? The front's open for just a few moments to stand and to come to receive Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or if you struggle with the doubts of your assurance, a public declaration that you are following Jesus Christ. These moments are yours to come. spirit as you work in this room as hard and challenging it as it is Lord may you move upon the spirit of any individual that needs to finish a work with you to the morning these are your moments Lord bowed and eyes closed. Lord Jesus, you bid one to come. And whoever comes to you, you will not drive out. Lord, your Spirit's worked in the lives of many in this room and even online to draw people to you. And Lord, as a follower of yours this morning, we give you thanks, love and adoration for sealing that commitment in our life that we're a child. To as many as received, and to them he gave the right to become children of God. We're grateful that we're a child of God and we can know that we know that we know that if we were to pass from this life to the next, we would live in eternity with you. Lord, in this room, as you've spoken to some, maybe who are questioning the assurance of their salvation, maybe because uh, they're double-minded or they're not been obedient to you, but Lord, maybe it's because they've never crossed the line of faith. May you continue in your gentle, strong a compassionate way to to lead them to faith in you, to have their questions answered, their doubt. Help them to construct a faith. But Lord, ultimately in the end, uh, though your word brings us the facts, it's not the facts that save us. It's our faith upon the truth, the facts, that step of faith that's not irrational, but it is super rational. Lord, help them to construct a place to step into faith. Lord, may we take these four cornerstones of your scripture, your finished work, your indwelling spirit, and the desire to obey your commands, to give witness. As you gave testimony of your son, may these give witness that we are your children. And may we go from here with no doubts. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. God's people said, Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'd come to receive the tithes and offerings, but um, to receive your rooted signups and to also receive your connect cards. On the back of your connect card is a response. Maybe you prayed to receive Christ this morning maybe there's a work that he's doing. Maybe there's a prayer request that you want to mention or a reason to praise. But as the ushers pass the baskets, just turn that in as a response and we'll be glad to follow up with you or any of the upcoming events that you need to respond to. I want you to know that as we step into the fall, God's been building a pretty big conviction on my heart for us to reach I hate using this term, but to reach the lost. And the way that we're going to reach people that do not know Jesus Christ is not through some big blowout event or special bells and whistles that we put on here. It's going to be through you caring and praying for a brother, a sister, a mom and dad, a coworker, even maybe ones you don't like, a neighbor, and you reaching out to them beginning to speak to them, one of the ways you can reach out to them, say, hey, if you got some questions, would you go on a journey of 10 weeks with me and rooted? I'd love to see a bunch of people that don't know Jesus yet come to know the Lord through those 10 weeks. But as we step into the fall, I want to encourage you to prayerfully seek God as to who he would have you reach out to. Next week, get you prepared. We're all going to fill out a connection card, even if you've been here forever, just so we're updated with it. But on the back, I'm going to have you list three names of people. And these names of people, I want to be names of people that are in this valley. People that need to know Jesus, need to come to assurance of their salvation. If you need prayer this morning or if you'd like to pray to receive Christ, there's an area over here in our prayer team. we are glad to pray with you. But with that, I'm going to invite you to stand and receive the Lord's blessing as we leave. Holy Spirit, may you descend and bring the calm, still, quiet assurance to the hearts of each of us of our salvation. And Holy Spirit, may your power dwell within us to be your missionaries as we go out this week to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are far from you this week. Holy Spirit, may you descend. God bless. We'll see you next week.